Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 12. This is the thinking fans home for analytical discussions about the NFL's upper Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith. I'm a published sports journalist born and raised in the heart of the Great Lakes, Detroit, Michigan, the city choking in the smoke of all of Canada being on fire. To our Canadian friends, stay safe. And to the Midwestlanders, especially in Chicago, stay inside because the air quality right now is the worst in the world. My broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist, is a professional data analyst, a Chicago native, and fellow Buckeye alumnus, so you know football is in the blood. Say hello, Brian. Why, hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Um, as Canada is uh, burning on fire, it's pretty hot out there. Um, it's We're expected to get some relief in Texas. It's expected to drop below 100 degrees Fahrenheit by Sunday, so we might get a cool 97 degrees for the 4th of July this year where we can expect to start our own wildfires and set our own country on fire and uh, join Canada while the whole continent burns. But in the meantime, we got some football to talk. That's true. And we can send all the smoke to Europe. Speaking of Europe, we did pick up our first listener in France last week up in Normandy. So even though my French is atrocious, I'll try to wish France bonjour et bienvenue, which means hello and welcome. Wherever you are, thanks again for spending time with us in the last week of June. We're recording on June 27th, and in this episode, we have the bizarre story of Cleveland cornerback Greg Newsom getting carjacked. We have the trash talk drama between the Bengals and the Chiefs. We have new Vikings starting running back Alexander Madison breaking his silence. And our main event of the evening, we dig deep to discover what if the Colts drafted Ryan Leaf instead of Peyton Manning in 1998. You won't believe the spider web that that unleashes. So before we get to that, though, we have the closest the NFL will ever get to admitting they screwed up. New protocols were put in place for the NFL to teach their players about what is and what is not allowed when it comes to gambling. This has been a pretty big story in Detroit for a long time, actually, pretty much since it broke. I think the first knee-jerk response to any casual, and especially a Lions fan, is it pretty much admitted that they kind of screwed over uh, Jamison Williams, but didn't admit anything, so they're probably not going to back down his his suspension, but I think that maybe they should walk it back a little bit, because it seems to me like They've realized that retroactively that their uh, rules in regards to gambling have been wildly unclear, and they may have overreacted to make uh, Jamison Williams the poster boy, along with Calvin Ridley. Yeah, Calvin Ridley was absolutely the first to fall, uh, but the difference is Ridley was pretty clearly betting on NFL games. Jamison Williams was not. In fact, he had pretty much no idea that what he was doing was covered by the rules, and that's that's really a problem. And wasn't his big crime that he just did it on his phone in the locker room or something, which I'm not totally sure why that is relevant if you're doing a DraftKings on college football or something, you know, <laughs> where you do it. But that, I guess, is the stipulation. But it's not exactly betting on NFL games while you're in the NFL. No, and I can see why the NFL wouldn't want it because you are effectively talking to a bookie or communicating with a booking app while you are on NFL property and may possibly, in fact, more than likely have access to inside information, which the bookie might very well want to see. So it's one of those appearance of impropriety things. So I get yeah, it, it but bad. I'm not sure it should have it should be as serious as some of these other violations. It feels more like a fine than a six game suspension, in my opinion. Well, I mean, I could see a couple, a game or two or three, but six game suspension is you are pretty much saying that this is an equal violation to felonies and PEDs, performance enhancing drugs, which is saying mm-hmm. something. Now, if you're betting on games on NFL games, especially games that you are personally involved in, that's a totally different matter. And we are absolutely in support of those guys getting the book thrown at them. I was going to say, in that case, I don't think six games is enough. <laughs> no. 
you know, that's that's the Pete Rose special as yeah. far as I'm concerned. If it was a significant amount of bets over a significant amount of time, then I'm looking at why are you in this league? I can also say there's not going to be a JMO appeal. He's already said there isn't going to be. His quote was, I just left it alone. They gave me six games and we left it at that, end quote, which I don't know. It might be a case of don't want to rock the boat, but that also kind of makes me wonder, like, is he afraid that the NFL is going to go like guns blazing on him and pull up like every violation of everything and make it even worse? I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Well, so this is a weird thing because I wonder how his teammates and coaching staff feels about that. Because one perspective, you can look at it and you can just say, hey, he admits he did commit a violation of the rules and he is being a stand-up citizen and he is taking his punishment for his crime. But the other side is the locker room might say, hey, he is not doing everything he possibly can to be on the field with us ASAP when we're trying to win. Like Alvin Kamara's suspension that allegedly keeps coming has already been two years in coming now. Yeah, that's the old school mentality. That was the expectation. Like if they had surveillance footage of you committing the violation from four different angles, you still appealed it because you had to go back to that locker room and say, I did everything I could to stay on the field. And with the way DeAndre Swift left not getting on the coach's good side, maybe wasn't trying as hard or stylistically, I kind of wonder if Jamison Williams is getting there too with his taking time to come back from an injury. Now he's not fighting to come back from a suspension. This seems to me like something that he could get Dan Dan Campbell's bad graces. Well, the thing that says I don't think that's the case is when he said, and we left it at that. Mm. That tells me the team might have been involved in that decision. Okay. Remember, everybody and their brother for the Lions is being investigated for gambling. So it's possible they don't want to turn this into an alien kidnapping probe. That makes sense. I was thinking like his agent or something, but it makes more sense that it would be the team as an organization is presenting a united front on this. Well, it could be that too, though. It could be the agent. It could be his people said we're not going to challenge this. Or the Players Association. Also possible. I mean, we don't really know. We're kind of reading into the tea leaves here. But this is a serious suspension Because the length of it will effectively mean that when he comes back for week seven, Jamison Williams will have officially missed essentially a full year of practice between his knee injury and then the suspension here. That basically adds up to a complete year. So he will be halfway through year two and effectively a a sixth or seventh grade rookie. That's hard to get on page with their quarterback. I mean, we saw it with the Green Bay rookies last year, and uh, they had, especially like Christian Watson, missed a lot because he pulled a hamstring. And I forgot that he's not allowed to practice when he's suspended. I guess he can work off season, I think, with golf, but then he'll disappear for seven months while golf throws to Amon Ra and other people. Yeah, he's at mini camps. He can do training camp, the whole deal. He can play in the preseason. And then after the second preseason, the last preseason game ends, he has to go bye-byes. Like he cannot even enter team facilities. That also means he has to stay in shape on his own for the first six weeks of the season. Am I right? That is a lot of practice with the team. Okay. Yeah. So what kind of impact do you think this is going to have on his career effectively missing two full seasons or season and a half of training and practicing with this team? It's brutal uh by the time you get to year three of a high round rookie if you've gotten pretty much a nothing burger from him you're looking to move on because those fourth and possible fifth years on those contracts are expensive he better come out and hit the ground running or this is a possible career altering suspension Man, I can already tell you, um, listening to some dynasty drafts in the offseason preparing for my rookie draft next week I'm not interested in picking up Jamison Williams, even on the low at this point. I think despite his talent, the fact that he's missed so much time, if this was 20 years ago, the third year breakout, he would have that written all over him. But I don't think they have patience for third year rookies uh, breakouts anymore, especially because the college game is set up that 
more receivers are NFL ready faster than they ever were 20 years ago because they pass more. So each year goes by, there's more and more competition because the, the Lions might be drafting another receiver if he doesn't start showing flashes early and often when he comes back from suspension. Jamison Williams has, at least before his knee injury, unbelievable speed. It looks like he still does. So at the very least, he's going to have the ability to be a field stretcher. But the real question is, if you drafted a guy 12th overall, you want more than a field stretcher. You want somebody who can be a valid part of the offense and contribute on multiple levels. The fact that he might be a guy whose only real weapon is his speed, who's dropping balls, who's not on the same page with his quarterback and who looks lost at times at practice and on the field. That's not good. And there are already a significant chunk of the Lions fan base that are looking to apply the bust label to it. Well, on a similar note, he's starting to try to draw comps in my mind to another former Buckeye first uh, wide receiver, uh, Ted Ginn. He had a long career as a success, but he did it more as a gimmick player. And he didn't do it with the team he was drafted. He was drafted by Miami, I think, seventh or ninth overall. He had good years with New Orleans and Carolina late in his career, but he was basically just a field stretcher role player that also punt returned. And uh, I don't even know if Jamison Williams is a punt returner. I think when you trade up from 32 to 12 to get him, that's even more they gave up than just drafting him in the late top 10 like Miami did with Ted Ginn. I still think that he's going to have a career in the NFL. It just might not be with the Lions, and it just might not be as a star like Ted Ginn. Great career overall. Go Bucks! But he wasn't what the Dolphins wanted when they drafted him. I'm afraid that that might be the comp. What he needs more than anything else right now is mental reps. He needs time on the field and time to develop, and he can't have that because of this suspension. And I think more than Ted Ginn, he needs reps with golf because golf doesn't necessarily throw the ball deep, which is the easy peasy skill set where you can just airdrop him in, run a 40-yard pass downfield like he caught the one last year and get value. Jamison Williams with the golf era is more likely to be successful grabbing a slant underneath in while in motion or something and and then housing that. Those you need to be on the page with your quarterback, their timing routes, more so than just throw it deep and go get it. So I think that's a concern to me is that he might not round out his skill set. Yeah, which leads him to the one dimensional, which is what we're really both saying. And a one dimension that doesn't fit with his current quarterback. That's what true. Which is also why Ginn didn't pan out. There's Noodle Arm Pennington in Miami. Yeah. Without taking too much time here, I do want to highlight what the NFL is doing on their end. They are now boiling down the gambling policy to six key points, which is don't bet on the NFL. Don't gamble in your team property facility or traveling. Don't have somebody bet for you. Do not enter a sports book in the middle of the year. Don't play daily fantasy football. You can play year long fantasy football. Don't share inside information. And there's a whole new system that they're going through about uh, sending out people whose job it is to teach this stuff to the players so that you try to avoid tragedies such as what may become of Jamison Williams career or Calvin Ridley's for that matter. Speaking of travesties and bizarre stories, though, Greg Newsome, what a strange story this has turned out to be. This was a story that was at first reported apparently incorrectly in uh, local Cleveland sources that he was carjacked at gunpoint. And it later came out at a press conference in his uh, charity softball event that, no, he wasn't actually held up at gunpoint. He had a friend that he had sent to go get the car and they got held up. And he eventually, you know, when they were leaving a bar or club or whatever at like 3.30 in the morning in downtown Cleveland, he did eventually get the car back because someone ditched it literally in a ditch. But, you know, it's not total loss. He's still saying all the right things. I still love Cleveland and all that. But, you know, it's not even the first Cleveland Brown to get their car stolen this offseason. So... (laughs) Wait, who, else I don't got, know what... who else got their car stolen? I missed that oh, story. I, I'd have to look it up. Okay. Um, well, so 
I guess technically he was carjacked because his car was stolen, but he wasn't driving. His buddy was. And Mm. is this one of those things where it's a weird thing where we always come down on NFL about drinking and driving, but he did the good thing by having his sober friend go get the car for him, but that guy got robbed and then he had to take an Uber home anyways or something, Uber to the police department. That's 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 crazy. I don't know who was drunk or not drunk, to be fair. It sounded like the guy was just fetching the car. Yeah, for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, just to be a nice guy, because he was, you know, he was putting over his buddy. This happened to him and not good. I just want to add, if I'm his buddy, he probably has a much nicer car than me. So maybe his buddy was in it for himself because he got to drive a really nice car for a little bit. You know, (laughs) that's all I'm saying. Maybe. But yeah, just a bizarre story. They asked Coach Kevin Stefanski about it, and he did the old, well, I'm grateful nobody got hurt. Teaching moment for the players. We've got to make sure we're keeping ourselves safe, you know, all that stuff. Hey, if you're getting robbed at gunpoint, just give up the car. It's, it's, you can, it's worth it to uh, keep your health. And that's what they did. So, um, good job. Nobody was going to get shot over a car, so that's a good thing. I do want to point out that I don't think Mason Rudolph is very upset to hear that Miles Garrett rolled his car a couple times. But if you remember that uh, incident on the field, <laughs> uh, sorry, ow! <laughs> what are you? Kidding? My uh, Dude, I, look, I, okay. To, my, to quote the the exasperated Gorilla Monsoon, will you stop? <laughs> My uh, my uh, dynasty team was briefly named uh, Rudolph the Crush fi- Crush Faced Reindeer for uh, in honor of that moment. Jeez, oh, oh man, alive. Anyways, uh, <laughs> shall we move on down the uh, Ohio River or not the Ohio River to the other side of Ohio for the other news story yeah. about uh, seventy one shuffle? Here we go, seventy one shuffle down. Let's go, Jamar Chase firing up the uh, trash talk with the Chiefs. You know, I guess when you've played each other in back-to-back AFC title games, there's a little bit of a, gets a little chirpy. Because I know, I think that Bengals had actually gone 3-0 and against the Chiefs under uh, Burrow until the AFC Finals uh, championship game last year when uh, Mahomes got his revenge and won his second Super Bowl. So, on that note, do you want to recap exactly what Jamar Chase said when he was asked to uh, talk about reporters? Well, yes. Let's let me reset the scene here. Okay. So this all started when some enterprising reporter stuck a microphone in Joe Burrow's face and asked him who he thought the best quarterback in the NFL was. And Joe Burrow says Pat Mahomes. Controversial opinion. (laughs) Well, it's definitely the diplomatic one for sure, which is what you want your team leader to do most of the time. Then everybody said, okay, interesting. And then somebody went and stuck a microphone in Jamar Chase's thing and says, so your quarterback thinks that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL or possibly more incendiary. Mm -hmm. And Chase, with his tongue firmly in cheek, says, Pat who? Oh, I don't even know who that guy is. No one does. Yeah. (laughs) So about... 15 seconds after that, Travis Kelsey came running in with a baseball bat. <laughs> like somebody had just insulted his mama. Like a chair in a, in a wrestling. Oh, yeah. WWE. He came in swinging for the head. In the face. I can picture this considering I've heard his brother, Jason Kelsey, from the Eagles, the center, give speeches. And he sounds like a WWE promoter. And I bet he has a career in the WWE if he wants to. So I wouldn't be surprised if Travis Kelsey would, too. What did he say when he came in with the uh, chair swinging for Jamar's head? What did he uh, clap uh, back? On his podcast, New Heights, and this is as reported by the Sporting News. Mm-hmm. The quote was, it is what it is, dog. Who doesn't love some good locker room banter, man? Shout out to Jamar Chase for holding it down for his QB. But don't you ever disrespect Pat Mahomes now. If you want to talk your bleep, talk your bleep, pimp, just better back it up. <laughs> so, And everyone's like, that escalated quickly. Yes. What I love about this is you have arguably the two best quarterbacks in the league, or at least the AFC. Sorry, Mr. Allen, you're up there too. Um, 
talking trash a lot, or not even talking trash. They're being cordial, but then their leading receivers, Jamar Chase and Travis Kelsey, are going at it, fighting for their guys. I, I love it. I love it. It's I, I uh, hope to see them play against each other in the playoffs again this year. Let's let's ratchet it up. Uh, uh, like the rubber match going, you know, they're one and one in the AFC championship games. It doesn't necessarily need to be an AFC championship game, but I just want to see it again. You know, be fun, fun for everybody involved, unless they lose the game. Mahomes, <laughs> of course, didn't take Chase's comments lying down either. So he tweeted a photo of himself modeling his two Super Bowl rings with the caption, that's who. So he did what every self-respecting athlete does when somebody disses them. They go on Twitter. That's so checks out. And then they unfollow the guy they're upset with. And then um, Tom Brady probably chimed in with his seven ring pictures or whatever he has. Just to just, no, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But (laughs) yeah, remember this was the same gentleman, Travis Kelsey, whose post game comments in the AFC title game in the, you know, the interview afterwards were Burrowhead by bleep. Oh, you're right, because they were because that was when the Bengals had won three straight against Mahomes. They they were quote undefeated when Burrow played Mahomes, and I remember there was like legitimate talking heads on ESPN saying, "See, Burrow is better. He's never lost to Mahomes. Never mind that Mahomes is a Super Bowl champion and has been elite for five years, <laughs> including the year where he did lose to Mahomes or uh, to Burrow." But uh, hey, I mean, technically, if you're the Bengals, you are three and one against. Uh, you know, within Burrowhead. <laughs> yeah, but it does, it, you know, it does kind of calm down after this. You know, it's it's just good old-fashioned smack talk. And then the credits roll, and the Marvel post credit scene pops up. Somebody in the Las Vegas Raiders press conference talks to Jimmy Garoppolo and goes, so, only two quarterbacks in the AFC have two Super Bowl rings right now, Pat Mahomes and you. And Jimmy Garoppolo looks down at his two Super Bowl rings and goes, Pat who? (laughs) The the, the Pat Mahomes that beat Jimmy Garoppolo in the only Super Bowl Jimmy Garoppolo actually started and didn't ride the bench to under Tom Brady? That that, Pat? (laughs) Oh, Jimmy G. It's a good thing you look pretty because... uh... Cut to the Marvel cut to the Marvel theme song in the credits early. <laughs> oh my god. I can't wait for uh to see I can't Kansas wait for City. the Kelsey chair shot. So <laughs> I just can't wait to see how badly Kansas City runs up the score on uh Vegas this year because I don't think the Raiders are gonna be very good. <laughs> Sorry, like, what Jimmy are you G. doing, Jimmy? I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo, if you had one accurate pass at the end of your Super Bowl, you'd have won your third ring once as a starter. And, uh, uh, you know, your boy would, uh, Pat Hoob, would be sitting there with just the one. This would be his first this year, you know? But, you know, he beat you. Straight up, he beat you in the Super Bowl. You can't. Oh, my God. This is hilarious. Meanwhile, Pat Mahomes is just very likable. I don't know. It just cracks me up. I love that he's somehow in all this yeah. drama. Yeah, I mean, his family drives people crazy, but nobody's oh. got a bad thing to say about Pat Mahomes. It's like the opposite of Aaron Rodgers, where his family yeah, you just did. stays away from him. <laughs> yeah, you just, you, yeah. We, we want lifetime passes of everybody that is in Pat Mahomes' inner circle to never see a microphone again. In fact, could we have a reality show where we just put everybody in Mahomes' orbit in a, in a room with Aaron Rodgers for a show? doesn't have to be a long season, just a couple episodes, you know, like on Hard Knocks. That would be great. I think that would be great drama. Just side note, side note. Just Well, <laughs> not if you want Aaron Rodgers to survive at the end of it. Oh, I never said okay. I want him to survive. Go Bears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of talking to the media, Alexander Madison opened up. Uh, I'm not going to dwell too long on this because – when we start doing our uh, team season previews starting after the 4th of July, then we're going to be talking a lot more about this kind of stuff. But Alexander Madison said a lot of really uh, a lot of classy things about being made the starter about coming after Dalvin cook. There's some interesting things here. He said he didn't expect to return to the Vikings and is looking to maximize his opportunity. They were really looking like they might cut both of them. 
which as an analyst, it kind of makes me think, okay, if they were sending the signal to both of them that they were going to be gone, why did they keep Madison and not Cook other than Madison being much cheaper? Was that it? it? It's interesting that they extended Madison. Was this because he this yeah. comments came after he signed his two year extension, right? His two year seven. Yeah, million. yeah. I think but he'd be at, at least the another time year. before that happened, he was expecting to walk. And not only did they keep him, but they gave him over six million dollars of new guaranteed money on a two year deal. I do remember that was the first clue that they probably were going to cut Cook. But it is interesting that they didn't they have one year left on Cook's contract that they could have just. I guess it was a lot more money than a two year. Seven million dollars. Yeah, well, that was the thing. I don't want to make this about Cook, but they're tied together. They were nine million or so below the cap. The Vikings were before they cut Dalvin Cook, and that was counting Cook's contract in it. So they could have easily afforded to pay him for this year, which was his contract year. But a lot of people in the organization apparently saw upside in Madison, and he has been good in stretches as the definitive guy in Minnesota when Cook is out. It's also interesting, too, though, that they did extend him on a modest deal because I do think that they did a good job drafting in the late rounds the last two years to tie Chandler and Trey McBride, or Dwayne McBride, sorry. But maybe they do like those guys, but they're not comfortable dropping both their starting running backs in one offseason. So maybe there is a case that, Alexander Madison has writing on the wall that this year could be his last. He's playing for a contract with another team despite signing the extension. Maybe that's what his thought was. I don't think so because a big chunk of that guaranteed money is on next year. So, I mean, I think it's his job for two years unless he does something to play his way out of it or somebody else just comes on gangbusters. Mm. He says in this interview that he always goes into the season, prepare like he's the starter, but he does say that the offseason feels different because he's used to working out with Dalvin Cook. They would kind of push each other in the uh, training in the offseason and support each other during the season. So now he knows he's got a different kind of role. The quote was, I've been a lot more prepared in the way of understanding where I'm going to be at in the playbook, where I'm going to have to be at physically, my stamina. It's just a whole bunch now that I have to take into account. So the Vikings do have that trio of young running backs behind him who will push him. But for now, at least it's Madison's backfield mm-hmm. on to the main event. Brian and I have been doing our research and looking forward to hashing this one out all week. What if... The Colts drafted Ryan Leaf first overall, 1998, instead of Peyton Manning. So first, let's set the scene, because this was a radically different time in the NFL. At this time, for those of you who aren't old enough or fans long enough to remember the 1998 NFL season, this was a time when the biggest contract in the NFL every year was whoever got drafted first overall. I know today that sounds crazy, but there was no such thing as a rookie wage scale. And there really wasn't any reason not to hold out for more money. So players were getting drafted and then holding the team hostage for as much as they could get because they were the future. They were the hope. Now, a lot of the veteran NFL players were pretty miffed off at this. So when the new CBA came in a couple years thereafter, the immediate shift was to get a whole lot more money to veterans who had earned it. And it was pretty much applauded by everybody. That was why there was a rookie wage scale Mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of stuff worked in to make it not negotiable. And now it's become the farce that it is. But in the short term back then, if you were going to draft somebody first overall, you were going to make that person the highest paid player in the history of professional football before they even played an NFL down. Yes, quarterbacks were as important then as now, but running backs were stars of approximately equal measure. Quarterbacks did not necessarily dominate the top of the draft. You could get quality quarterbacks in the second round, the third round, and teams did. Yes, in that era, running backs were still ready-made stars. So they came dropped into the NFL as superstars already. Quarterbacks weren't always. 
Ryan Leaf played for Washington State. I know he was very hyped up for his arm, but he wasn't like the star of like that, like Curtis Enos was that went number five in that draft. But at the same time, Manning was really elevating that status because I remember the Bears, that was the first year I was ever seeing people actively rooting for the Bears to lose games to tank for Manning. And I think it was one of those things where the Bears were in the running for number one overall pick. And then they won like two of their last four games and ended up five overall and people were mad. And then they ended up taking Curtis Enos instead, which, you know, it is what it is. But Manning was so good that Marcus Nash was drafted in the first round at Denver as a wide receiver. I've never even heard of that guy. Like he was carried into the NFL because Peyton Manning was so good. But as surefire of a prospect Peyton Manning was, it was a big debate at the time with Ryan Leaf. There was a good chance Leaf went number one overall. And what I find interesting about it is Leaf came in out of shape. He looked really, he was like doing interviews in the um, in the hot tub and you could just see him uh, not exactly in game shape. And then Peyton Manning was hard to find because he was in the film room studying. So it's kind of obvious to figure out in hindsight, and we could project this forward. Oh, yeah. I still have somewhere a copy of ESPN, the magazine from 1998, the draft preview issue in which some columnist or another goes into detail about why he would draft Ryan Leaf ahead of Peyton Manning. Yeah. And it wasn't ironic. No, he was being dead serious. And I also think it was before PTI, or if it was early, we didn't have these talking head shows where they just artificially created a counterpoint just to have an argument for a half hour. This was legitimately, I believe, Ryan Leaf is the guy. Yeah. Which, this actually boils down to one of the many, 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 cut about 50 minis later many bad decisions that ryan leaf made and according to a 2014 cbs sports article ryan leaf actually sabotaged his meetings with the colts to not go there because he didn't want to play for indianapolis or else the colts might very well have drafted ryan leaf well, success. He ended up not playing for anybody much at all. So good job by Ryan Leaf. Yeah, he did a good right. job satisfying or sabotaging. Ryan Leaf wanted no part of Indianapolis. So the Chargers who had traded up to number two long before the decision was made, ended up taking Ryan Leaf second overall, and he became one of the biggest draft busts in history. Like, in order to understand this analysis, you must understand that Ryan Leaf is worse than an NFL backup. He was one of those guys that had, personally, he was a jerk that rubbed everybody, including his teammates, the wrong way. He was cocky as heck. He thought he was God's gift to football. He stunk at football, did not understand the NFL game, and had absolutely no interest in getting any better. I have some fun stats to back this up. Let's hear it. As a rookie, he threw for two touchdowns and 15 interceptions while starting nine games. Somehow they won three of them, which is kind of surprising. His sophomore year. Explain how in a moment. Okay. In his sophomore year, he was one and eight as a starter, where he threw a whopping 11 touchdowns and 18 interceptions. And. He was so great that I'd completely forgotten that his third year he was in Dallas where he started three games and won zero of them, throwing a single touchdown in those three games. And for a guy who had number two overall pedigree, he never played in the NFL again. You have guys like Blaine Gabbert who are still and Sam Darnold who are still in the NFL in the running right now. It's unheard of for someone with that high pedigree to not have another chance in year four. But I believe you have some stories about uh, <laughs> about how they won their three games. Yeah. He won four total of his three-year career. Well, first, though, let's start with the Colts. Because oh. what I'm going to do here oh, okay. uh, is, I'll, is kind of bounce back and forth in the early years between the Colts and the Chargers. And then as history starts to... 
divulge from what we think would happen had our scenario played out Mm -hmm. where the Colts draft Ryan Leaf and then we think it's a slam dunk that the Chargers would have drafted Peyton Manning second overall. Let's talk about what each of these teams look like in year one. So it's the 1998 season. The Colts had some significant pieces on that team. They had Marshall Falk, who was the only pro bowler on a 3-13 disaster in 1998. So that was Peyton Manning's rookie year. They also had Marvin Harrison, who was in year, I believe, year three. The two tight ends, Ken Dilger and Marcus Pollard. But they didn't have an offensive line and they had no defense whatsoever. The Colts' next two picks after Peyton Manning were wide receivers Jerome Payton and E.G. Green. That's an ouch. This was Bill Polian's first season, Coach Mora's first season. So even with a 3-13, and 13, everybody was okay. Nobody got canned that year. Transition over to the Chargers. San Diego actually traded up from number three to get a quarterback. So they traded to move up one spot. They gave up their second rounder. They gave up their 1999 first rounder. And they also gave up running back Eric Metcalf and linebacker Patrick Sapp to go from third overall to second overall. Leaf and Peyton Manning were both immediately named the starters So I'm pretty safe saying Peyton Manning would have immediately started for the Chargers. The Chargers had a more complete team around Leaf than Manning had around him. The team had pro bowlers Rodney Harrison and Junior Seau. They had a number of contributing pass rushers. They had some offensive line help. They had Natron Means at least until week 10, who was a significant running back, more of a power guy, but you could do that back then. Like the Colts, they also got nothing else significant out of the 1998 draft, but they did also get Pro Bowl defensive tackle Jamal Williams in the supplemental draft, so they had him for that year. The fatal problem with this team was they had no targets. There was nobody for whoever the quarterback was to throw to in San Diego. Still, with all the other quality players, they went 5-11 and in real life in a tough division. So even with Peyton Manning, they probably only get six or seven wins tops, the Chargers do, on their side. I still think with the Colts, they're 3-13 and is a disaster they're probably and one of those three wins was against the ryan leaf led chargers so if that three and 13 becomes two and 14 because they lose to peyton manning in the chargers with ryan leaf which yeah probably now they're picking second overall behind the expansion browns so this is one of the key points here moving to 1999 likely the worst team Uh, Ryan Leaf is picking behind the expansion Cleveland Browns who whiff and take Tim Couch. We're assuming that still happens. I don't see why I wouldn't. I don't think the Colts would take another quarterback immediately. They probably wouldn't have figured out that Leaf is going to be the kind of epic bust that he is that fast. I don't think we've been doing that until recently. Like it was like Kyler Murray coming a year after Josh Rosen or even to a lesser degree, Jimmy Clausen being in the second or third round being draft, you know, giving way to Cam Newton the next year. But the next year's class was loaded. I mean, Tim Couch, McNabb and Achilles Smith went one, two, three. And I believe there was uh, Dante Culpepper and Cade McNown were also top 12 picks, but they did not give up on investments like that. They also paid them too much money, too much pride. Well, yeah, there's that. Were they, are they really going to turn around and give another gigantic contract to a rookie quarterback? So the next, who actually got that second pick was the Philadelphia Eagles, and it became Donovan McNabb. More likely, I think the Colts take the best non-QB on their board because after they struggled with Manning, I think they would have struggled with Ryan Leaf and tried to say, okay, let's get him help, and they drafted Edgar and James. That probably stays true. One one four overall. 
And what's interesting, though, is they let Marshall Falk walk, if you remember that, because I think they were in a rebuild after going 3-13. and Now, what's interesting is, though, after going 3-13 and with Peyton Manning as a rookie, they went 13-3 and the next year and won the division. Also, Marshall Falk had a happy ending, too. He went from a 3-13 and team to the St. Louis Rams that went on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. So it was one of those things where everybody won in that, uh, uh, in that situation. But if Leaf was there. Oh, yeah. This is probably a disaster. But the big question is, and this is what I got for you, Brian, is how big of an upgrade, downgrade, whatever, is Falk to Edgar and James? Or is this mostly a case of Peyton Manning figuring it out and taking the next step? I think it was just Peyton Manning taking a step forward because Edger and Marshall Falk is most known for his time in St. Louis. And I think they fully unlocked him as a pass catcher. That was where he was first used as a slot receiver for mismatches. But Edger and James was very good at that role. And I think that was kind of a side grade where they said, hey, we have a young quarterback. Let's get younger at running back. And I think that was a good move for them because they were in a rebuild and they, they wanted to match the timeline for their quarterback and running back. And also do well for Marshall Falk by letting him go to a good team. This is also the year that the Colts found Jeff Saturday as an undrafted free agent. So they're starting. Now they've got their offensive line pieces coming in. They've got Marvin Harrison. They've got the tight ends. They've got Edgar and James. Peyton Manning takes the step forward. And with the last play schedule, they blow up. I think they blow up in the bad way if this is. Well, here's the thing about what happened with Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf did not play it down his second year. He blew his shoulder out the first, I think the first practice of training camp and did not play the entire year. I actually missed that when I was going over his thing. He was three years in San Diego. I didn't even realize he missed his second year. As I'm looking at it, that was a very Bears-centric year where Jim Harbaugh started 12 games and Eric Kramer started four and Moses Moreno was their third guy, who were all former Bears. Yeah, in real life, the Chargers pulled Jim Harbaugh off the street, and he went 8-8 eight and eight on this team mm-hmm. with, on a team that had no first or second round pick that year from the trade in the supplemental draft. They got no significant help in the draft. Jim Harbaugh, who they got off the street as a free agent, even though they added basically nobody, Jim Harbaugh was 500 off of a 5-11 team. And by the way... I don't recommend signing former Bears quarterbacks if you're trying to win games. So this might be the most successful team that's ever grabbed a Bear quarterback and gone eight and eight. (laughs) Yeah. So if they were eight and eight with a street free agent quarterback, Peyton Manning in his second year probably wins a bad AFC West. Ten and six would have done it, by the way. And I think they at least do that if that's Peyton Manning's team on top of everything else. Considering Peyton Manning went 13 and three that year. Yeah. The Seahawks won the division at nine and seven. Remember the Seahawks were the AFC back then. So at this point, San Diego is really starting to take off. And I think it would be very generous to say five or six wins for the Colts with Ryan Leaf in 99 or maybe the Colts in this situation, if they draft Ryan leaf and then leaf blows out his shoulder, maybe they bring back Jim Harbaugh. He was a former Colts quarterback. He took him to an AFC title game. And by the way, going eight and eight in that division would have been harder because the last place was eight and eight. And that was a tie between the jets and the Patriots. People forgot the Patriots weren't good at a time at one point in time. So if they're playing with a street free agent, eight and eight is probably the ceiling. That team is probably six wins, seven wins. Mm-hmm. So then we come to one of the really big linchpins, which is 2000. 2000 at the top was considered to be an awful draft for QBs. The only first round quarterback drafted was Chad Pennington. Now we know it wasn't because that was the Tom Brady draft, but everybody missed Tom Brady. Yeah. Everybody missed Tom Brady. And even Pennington, he went 18. That's pretty late for a first quarterback to go. It really is. like Kenny Pickett style. I don't even see a second-round quarterback in that draft class as I'm looking at it. No. 
<laughs> Something called Giovanni Carmazzi was a third overall pick in the third round by the Niners. Yeah. He definitely won like name of the year. But Astra. They yeah. don't even have in... data listed for him on pro football reference. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he ever played it down. Okay. But in 2000, this is... In real life, this is when the bottom fell out on Ryan Leaf because he came back from the shoulder that everybody was just kind of hoping and praying, and he was as bad or worse than before with a better team around him. The team went 1-15, and 15, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. So he went, what, they were 5-11 when he was a rookie. He didn't play. They pr- grabbed street fragents from the Bears and went 8-8, eight and eight, and then they went 1-15 when Leaf came back. Yeah, rough start to the career. Yeah, uh, in the Chargers' real life, they didn't bring back Natron Means, and they were the worst rushing team in the history of the NFL for a 16-game season. The worst yards per game. Ouch. After 1999, the Chargers general manager, Bobby Bethard, retired. He was a Hall of Famer, mostly with the Washington football team, the Redskin Potatoes. So they hired Bill's GM, John Butler, who had just gotten cleaned out with his entire staff in Buffalo. And he brought a whole bunch of people with him and they became the Bill's West, which had interesting real life side effects later that we'll get to. Some stats to hammer home your point. I have this shock look on my face, which you can't see in the podcast. The leading rusher was Terrell Fletcher, who rushed for 384 yards with 3.3 yards per carry. Wow. <laughs> so let's say that the bottom falls out on the Colts in 2000. It was an awful draft for quarterbacks, so they probably don't take a quarterback in this one in 2000, assuming that the Colts have Ryan Leaf, our hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So they probably draft a lot of defense and offensive line and hope in real life. They didn't get much help from this draft. So it's hard to imagine they would have gotten a lot in this situation. If they turn around and they're one in 15 under Jim Irsay after year three, a couple of things happen that are probably not good. First of all, Mora's definitely gone. Hmm. Secondly, Polian is probably gone. The general manager. Hall of Fame general manager. Thirdly, this was Marvin Harrison's contract year. If they're looking at a full rebuild, they probably let him walk. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a disaster in Indianapolis. You've got a complete rebuild from scratch with almost no assets. Your assets are Edgar and James, Jeff Saturday, and a couple of tight ends. Not even Dallas Clark yet. Not even Dallas Clark yet. We'll come back to this in a moment from the draft spot. The uh, Chargers in 2000, though, in all likelihood would have been building off of Peyton Manning's second year to his third year. So if they don't win the division, they're in it. They're probably double digits. They're sitting back around 22, 23, 24 in the draft. They have desperate need for a running back. Maybe they trade up with Dallas for Sean Alexander which instead of the Seahawks doing it, it becomes the Chargers because that's their one piece other than targets. But, you know, they they brought in Curtis Conway. They brought in Tim Dwight in real life. Former Bear Conway, shout out. First Bear to have back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. But at this point, he is pretty much locked in. Uh, Peyton Manning is as the Chargers, and they're going places. Now they're just adding a piece here and there. And they're going to start to attract free agents. The Colts, on the other hand, I, now they've bottomed out. They're probably uh, the worst team in the league or close. Which is what the Chargers were. So, Brian, you've done a lot of looking at the 2000 draft for this. You want to tell us about some of these situations here? I was going to say this sets up nicely to our first major pivot point draft where In 2001, what actually happened was the Chargers had number one overall and they traded back five spots or back to number five and they drafted LaDainian Tomlinson. Now we can do the pretty safe bet. The Colts aren't trading back to draft Tomlinson when they have Edger and James there already. 
Michael Vick goes number one overall, and the Chargers draft Drew Brees at the top of the second round. That worked out pretty well for the Chargers when they're trying to rebuild with uh, Tomlinson and Brees at the top of that draft. Absolutely. And the Colts draft Reggie Wayne that year to compliment Marvin Harrison. And that's when they really start taking it to the next level when it comes to that potent offense as Peyton Manning hits his stride. So now I don't think the Colts are drafting him. Maybe the Chargers are drafting Reggie Wayne and we see him with Peyton Manning anyways. I don't know. That would be a tough decision. So it's hard to tell. It could happen. In hindsight, I think the ideal move for the Colts would have been to trade back out of one, get a defensive player, of which there were many, in that 2001 draft in the first round. And then they would have been at the top of the second, use some of those assets to draft trade back up and get Reggie Wayne, who they were obviously high on, and possibly Drew Brees. Home and remember, Drew Brees played in Purdue. He was the home state guy. So that's right. He's in state for them. So it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be out of the question that Drew Brees just played in Indianapolis instead of San Diego, which is kind of an interesting what if. Um, the, also, San Diego might have just or sorry, Indianapolis might have just taken Michael Vick. That would have been weird to see in that uniform. But uh, oh yeah. I mean, we know Ursay loves the shiny things. So talk to us about what that might do to Atlanta. Well, so Atlanta, that that would be interesting because they ended up becoming very relevant by uh, year two. They were a playoff team. Uh, Michael Vick was a pro bowler. And that was the famous year where they went into Lambeau and they beat Brett Farr. And they, I think they ended the Lambeau mystique. So that doesn't even happen. So maybe Green Bay wins like three more Super Bowls because of that. You know, we don't know. I'm not even I don't even know how to go down that rabbit hole. But the uh, Falcons end up having a pretty good year. They have a off year in 03 when he's injured. And then they they're 11 wins again in 04 without Michael Vick in Atlanta. I don't even know what they do. I don't I just think that. Atlanta was pretty irrelevant outside of the one Dirty Bird season in 98. And then Michael Vick burst onto the scene and they were really starving for a star, the human highlight reel type stuff. And Dominique Wilkins. Exactly. That's, that's the town, you know, and um, looking at that draft class, like outside of LaDainian and Tomlinson, it was David Terrell and Corin Robinson at receivers in the top 10, five defensive linemen and an offensive lineman. So I don't think there, there wasn't any star power in that draft class to be honest the next hall of famer drafted was um steve hutchinson as a guard you know so i just i just don't know what atlanta even does in that in that situation they just seem to kind of wither way into irrelevance and even when you kind of project forward like the next year's draft class is houston is an expansion grabs david carr but then joey harrington goes to detroit maybe atlanta's bad enough that joey harrington's now a falcon you know, like, I, I do don't they even... save the lions from themselves? Yeah, they might have saved the lions from themselves because those are the only the next quarterback drafted was Patrick Ramsey with the last pick of the first round to Washington. So, like, it, it, it comes really rough because it's not a good draft class, and you got to get all the way. You got to stay bad to 03 to get maybe Carson Palmer. But even then, you could have ended up with Byron Leftwich or Kyle Bowler or something. Rex, sexy Rexy was in that draft class. So the point was, if you don't get Rex Grossman, it, yep. If you don't get Michael Vick in that draft class, and you don't take Drew Brees, it's you, you got to you, you're not getting a good guy until 04, which we're not even we're, we're going to get to that in a second. That's another pivot point. But I just think that Atlanta has a tough time being relevant. They're just probably doing the free agent, you know, shuffle. They're just not as fun. I mean, those memories of 02 to 04, they had some really good seasons, uh, really good two years where Vic was electrifying. And even when he tailed off, they were still a 500 team and they were still semi-relevant until, you know, he disappeared from the NFL for a couple of years. I do want to add that by the time we get up to 04, Mm-hmm. The Chargers drafted Nate Kading, Nick Hardwick, a center, defensive end Sean Phillips, and running back Michael Turner all in 2004. All of them were pro bowlers. 
Yeah, Michael. You Pope, add that. You? you add that gas to a Peyton Manning offense, and we might be talking about Super Bowls in San Diego. You know how we had the segment like Midwest nightmares. I think San Diego. This is their nightmare situation because they could have just they could have won multiple Super Bowls if that was the case. I mean, think about how good that team was around. Uh, you know, would have been around Peyton Manning if they just kept getting the same guys. Yeah, but let's back that truck up. So at this point, it's pretty clear that if Peyton Manning goes to the Chargers, they don't draft Drew Brees. Which you have to go back and look that that bill x bills gm john butler brought mm-hmm. doug flutie with him so when they drafted drew Brees, there was this weird quarterback controversy with doug flutie that the gm was kind of hoping that flutie was gonna win mm-hmm. it took drew Brees a good two three years to develop before he finally took off and he had that one big season where he went to the pro bowl and then got hurt in the pro bowl and they decided to move on. And that's when they got a new GM and the new GM's first ever pick was Philip rivers. So then he had to, then it became this weird breeze versus rivers thing, just like river breeze had to fight with Flutie and like, they never really seemed to like breeze there. And if breeze ends up in Indianapolis, he might've been a beloved uh, in-state home child. Right, which that's a legitimate question now to bring up a whole other city. If Drew Brees gets drafted by a team that actually wants him, does he ever go to New Orleans? Do they win that Super Bowl? Do they even have an NFL team after Katrina, which was 2005? Yeah, and and that's an interesting thing because the 06 is when Brees finally walks and leaves after two years of battling with uh, or, or holding back rivers so that the GM can, uh, you know, justify his first ever pick. Cause that GM did a good job drafting players in Indianapolis and in, in, in LA or sorry, San Diego back then. So he drafts there. And the funny part is Indianapolis wins the Super Bowl that year, the year that breeze goes to new Orleans. This is the year after Katrina. And even though the saints did not win the Super Bowl that year, they were in the NFC championship game which at that point, people forget now, but they were the ain'ts. They were the guys that fans would have the palm paper bags over their heads in the stadiums while the Superdome was you know, half empty. Breeze showing up there got them into an AFC championship game against the Bears and really made it relevant and rallied the team around uh, Katrina and then culminated by revenge over the Colts by winning the Super Bowl in 09. I don't know who else was available at quarterback in 2005. I looked. I looked at all the free agent guys. Ty Detmer, Gus Farratt, Brad Johnson, Tony Banks. Those were the guys that the Saints were going to get, if not for Drew Brees. Well, that could have been end up being a Culpepper thing, too, because if you remember, Drew Brees actually was going to go to Miami to go play for Nick Saban, which is another full-on what-if. Oh, man. Um, if we were a college football podcast, what if Nick Saban gets Drew Brees in Miami and has success and stays in the NFL and never yep. goes to Alabama? Exactly. That swings. That That's the what-if that probably swings the most championships because New Orleans doesn't win one. Alabama doesn't win 18. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the funny part is the best bet if you if you struck out after 05 would be to go grab Aaron Rodgers in the 05 draft. <laughs> but which know. yeah. Or Alex Smith, same difference, right? Well, yeah, the number 1 overall to get Alex Smith, but they were pretty much the same player, I believe. Uh Alex Smith was <laughs> just as successful as Aaron Rodgers and uh no one regrets taking uh Aaron Rodgers uh or passing on Aaron Rodgers who played at Cal, not far from San Francisco, number 1 overall. <laughs> so but you know to talk you brought up a little bit earlier the uh the whole eli manning thing where eli went first overall but he didn't want to play for the chargers so they traded him essentially to the giants for uh philip rivers by this point we know that eli isn't gonna get drafted by the chargers because they're sitting there with peyton manning we don't know who's going to be bad that far down the road. Is it the Colts again because they whiffed on quarterbacks? Is it somebody else? Is it Detroit? Who does he force his way out of? 
or does he? What I found interesting about that too was if you remember, he forced his way out of the uh, San Diego because they were quote losers or not a, there weren't an organization that was known for winning. And it was funny because the Giants at that time hadn't been really winning a lot either. <laughs> I think no, they did have the they... one year where they got stomped by the Ravens, but other than that, it's not. It had been a far cry since the '90s or the '80s when they were coached by Bill Parcells and were winning. And my question is, what other loser franchises that um, did Eli think? Did he think that would he have refused to play for the Colts if his if if that was the team? Which is ironic to see. It would be interesting to see like. Maybe he passes on the Colts, which is funny because, you know, obviously his brother was iconic there. Or are the Colts not in the position if they have Drew Brees from the year or two before and they actually embrace him? So I think that's a very interesting thing because even then looking at the guys who were drafted early, the teams that were drafting early was like Vegas or Oakland. Uh, They still had – what's his name that took him to the Super Bowl late in his career. That was really good a couple of years earlier. So they, they were still holding out hope uh, for Rich Gannon's return. I think they were down number two because Gannon was hurt, but then I don't think he ever came back and they went with Kerry Collins. And um, it it's just interesting to see who else could have been there in that draft class that Eli Manning might've considered playing for other than the giants that were in that range. The Raiders, possibly. Yeah. We're four we're four and twelve, but he's not playing for the Cardinals. He's probably not playing for the Falcons. He's not playing for the Lions. He's not playing for the Browns or the Texans. Yeah. 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 So that that's what I find interesting because you know Does he solve their problem the, the Raiders problems at quarterback? I mean, what like happens to the Giants? I mean, the, the most interesting thing would be if he was if he ended up a Falcon the next year when the Falcons uh, struck out on uh, Michael Vick um, a couple of years earlier. But like you said, I don't think he would have wanted to play for the Falcons. So does he force his way to the Giants anyways? <laughs> maybe. Or maybe he's straight up drafted by them. We don't know who would be bad in that situation. Does he would that be the ultimate? Come up and does he tell the Colts I'm not playing for you because you're losers after they passed on his brother? I'd love to see that multiverse where Eli Manning is refusing to play for the Colts and then someone from our universe goes there and is like, wait, but the Manning is famous name in the Indianapolis. What is going on here? Sorry. Yeah. Multiverses is in right now for the movies for the kids. There is one more postscript here. We know in real life, Peyton Manning blew his knee and towards the end of his career and the Colts, Jim Mersey went straight all in on suck for luck and couldn't wait to shove Peyton Manning out of town as well as anybody else that wanted to keep him. And he was coming off four spinal and neck surgeries, to be honest. That's it's pretty miraculous that he came back and led the Broncos to two Super Bowls. And for people, remember he won the Super Bowl with no arm, but he did make it to the Super Bowl where he was awesome. That was one of the best fantasy seat offenses of the year that year. When they lost to the Legion of Boom, they ran to the greatest, one of the best defense of all time. But to your point, Peyton Manning walks in 2012. So he ends up in Denver, uh, where they had you know a good four-year run with two Super Bowl appearances. Now the question is, if he's playing for the Colt Chargers and the Chargers let him walk up for the same reason, do they let him? Do they steer him out of the division so he doesn't end up going to Denver? So I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember who the leading candidate was for his services before John Elway convinced him to come? It was Jim Harbaugh and the San Francisco 49ers were the runner-up. So let's say he ends up a Niner, and now they go on to win the Super Bowl that they lost a couple years later. Jim Harbaugh might not end up being back at Michigan, which is another interesting what-if. But here's the bigger thing for not just the NFL, But the year that they were trying to recruit Peyton Manning, they had a quarterback controversy in in, in San Francisco where 
Alex Smith was trying to hold off second round upstart quarterback Colin Kaepernick. So if Peyton Manning ends up a Niner, Colin Kaepernick never becomes a thing. He never kneels during the national anthem. He never wins, uh, what was it, the Sports Illustrated or Time Person of the Year. And there's a this this ends up having society ramifications because you know cop, I'm not commenting pro or against the movement, but he started a movement and a lot of people were inspired by Colin Kaepernick. And if he never sees the field, he never plays in that Super Bowl where the Harbaugh brothers play against each other. It's a very different situation, not just for the NFL, but for the uh, uh, American society, which I find interesting. And sticking to the Super Bowl or to the NFL, I think a I think a Peyton Manning I, I, Kaepernick wasn't quite ready to play that season, but he did go toe to toe with uh, the Ravens, and they end up with four shots at the super at the end zone to try to win that. There's a good chance Peyton Manning wins that, and he wins the Super Bowl with the Niners, which is kind of a crazy thought. And Ray Lewis doesn't win his second one in, in, in his swan song with a deer antler spray year, if you remember that one when he came back early with the torn bicep. And um, if Jim Harbaugh wins a Super Bowl, does he win that uh, front office struggle and he stays with the Niners longer and he never ends up a Michigan quarterback? Like to me, as weird as it is to say Peyton Manning not being drafted by the Colts in 1998 leads to him 14 years later not being a Denver Bronco, that alone might have bigger ramifications on the NFL and society than any of the what if we talked about earlier in this podcast. How crazy is that to think about? That is wild. But we're going to have to leave it there because at that point, it simply becomes so much speculation. Next week is the 4th of July, Independence Day for our non-American listeners, so the recording schedule may be a little unusual next week. We'll have a special episode 13, the Midwest Curses episode. In celebration of our lucky 13th episode, we'll dig deep on the curse of the Honey Bears, the Cleveland Sports Curse, the Madden Curse, and the infamous Detroit Lions Curse of Bobby Lane. And don't worry, Vikings fans, we won't forget about you either. For this week, though, we want to thank Raymond, creator and performer of our theme song, Running Home, from his album Call to Me. Find it at all digital music distributors. Also, Chris Brandley for doing all of our logos. Lastly, thank you one more time for listening to us today. But now we begin the fifth quarter and take this show into the locker room. We will see you later. I miss you already.